Will everyone in the theater hold on firmly to his seat, please? Stop it! Stop it! I'm Vincent Price. What unearthly horror did that girl gaze upon? What manner of incredible thing walked beneath that hood? It would be unfair at this time to show you any more of what went on in that laboratory where a man actually dared to play God. So fantastic, words can't begin to describe it. You must see it with your own eyes to believe it when the fly comes your way. I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? Wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. Could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Listeners, welcome to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are a podcast that talks about horror movies. We don't care from when. Um, sometimes we don't care how good or how bad they are, but uh, we will talk about them. We will spoil them. So, uh, you know, the subject of the show is the one that's going to get spoiled for sure. We'll try not to spoil other stuff too much. Thank you to the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features. We use that at the top of every show. Sometimes after a uh, little other musical in- intro or movie trailer, that sort of thing. But you're always going to hear the moon rays. You can find them on Amazon or iTunes where you can buy the music digitally. Or you can say hi to them on Facebook where they are the moon dash rays. That's all the housekeeping. <laughs> That's it. I, didn't, I think I did it all in one breath. <laughs> it wasn't really Very funny. smooth. Thank you. Um... So, I'm Richard, I'm here with Will, Hello. and Jolian. Hello. We're your hosts, and we're not professional critics. I, I haven't mentioned that in a few episodes. <laughs> oh, I think people can guess that. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a professional comic book artist, aren't you? Yeah, but so that's, you're a professional printer. I am. People pay me to print stuff. That's what I do. And uh, I don't work for the man, so that's kind of cool, too. Sort of self-employed. Will, you draw stuff. I draw stuff. When are they going to pay you for it? I don't know. Not soon enough. Have you done anything lately with the Black Dahlia? It's slow going. <laughs> By the time the glacier reaches you, it's going to crush you into a paste. Yes. 
I think that's what's going to happen. Do a Black Dahlia versus Berlin crossover. Oh yeah, he's wrapping that up finally. I can uh, finally read book two. <laughs> it took so long between book one and two that I forgot everything that happened in book one. Yeah, I, I keep. I have to like, reread the previous volumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm just like, I'm just gonna wait. I haven't read book two. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna wait till the last yep. one comes out. Good idea. And read all three. There's always that mind eraser thing that happens if it's too long between things. You know, like... Yeah, I like to collect every volume of whatever before I start reading them. <laughs> That's a good idea. I've got the uh, the Spirit Archives, so I'm working through those. I'm on the last last of the the run of the comic pages. Oh, nice. And then the next volume is just the newspaper strips. Oh, okay. And then the last volume is subsequent appearances. Oh, nice. So one one last bit of housekeeping I almost forgot. Thank you, Johnny, for giving us this idea, Fly versus Fly. <laughs> so one of our dedicated listeners, friend of the show, Okay. Johnny is uh, responsible for this idea. And um, I have to do a drawing. And if you guys want to take it away from me, please do. <laughs> spy versus Spy. By the time anyone hears this, it'll already be done or or not. So <laughs> it'll either have it'll either have passed or failed by now. This is like a Schrodinger's podcast. <laughs> it really is. We can't predict what's going to happen between now and when this actually drops. It's uh, San Diego Comic Con this weekend, so all the the people on the money making side of comics are in on the West Coast right now. Yeah, so they're they're taking it easy after the show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty intense. I don't think we can uh, really kick off the show without first saying um, uh, we did lose George Romero from this mortal plane. And Martin Landau. And Martin Landau, who did a masterful job playing Bela Lugosi Mm -hmm. in Ed Wood, which uh, I just encouraged a, a young friend to watch that very recently, like just probably days before he died, before Martin Landau died. Yeah, so that's this... Two people who made movies or worked on movies that are in my top ten all time. That's awesome. I know there's no great. I'm not saying it's a great honor, but it's like a, personally for me, it's like a, well, you know, there's Martin Lando is in North by Northwest. Yes, my favorite Hitchcock. Yeah, and, um, and of course Romero's Dawn of the Dead is my favorite horror movie. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that uh, that he captured lightning in a bottle that first time with night of living dead because that made everything afterward possible Mm -hmm. and if that movie had for whatever reason like say all the film got ruined at the lab and they couldn't do it again for some reason or half of it was ruined and it just was incomplete you know any number of things could have gone wrong and um it didn't it went right and they nailed something with with the uh, with the mood, the tone, the look, and the feel, yeah, and the story itself. It's, they nailed it, and it worked. And it was right for the time it was in. And it was the little movie that could. It, it made a ton of money, not for the people for who made him. it <laughs> necessarily. So, did you see that one first? Uh, out of all of the, the zombie, the, the Living Dead. Yeah, series. yeah, that was my first Romero movie I saw was mm. his, his first feature movie. Probably. Yeah. I don't remember if it was that or Dawn of the Dead. I definitely saw Dawn first. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting how depending on. And I can't remember. <clears throat> yeah, when when you're able to jump on that stuff, like what what happens your way first? It was probably Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, that one was always really accessible for like small TV stations to get a hold of it. Yeah, it wasn't in the UK though. Oh yeah, that's right. It did turn up on TV, you know, much later, but. <laughs> but you got Forbidden Planet much more easily than oh, we, yeah, than yes, we yes, did, apparently. So yeah. Off, you know. <laughs> yeah, it seems like we got This Island Earth and The Day the Earth Stood Still and yeah. stuff like that more often than Forbidden Planet. So um, so apart from the uh, Dead series, what was your favorite Romero movies? Um, I, don't th- I don't think I've seen much other than the Dead series from Romero. Same. Yeah, you posted, uh, what was the one... The crazy Some gladiator one, Night Riders. Yeah, have you seen that one? Never. No. Oh, you never even it. heard of it. It's so good. It, it's a that. it's the Arthurian story, but it's like a contemporary. Uh, you know, they're, they're a traveling stunt bike show. Yeah, with Ed Harris is in charge, and Tom Sabini is one of the bikers. No wow. way. And uh, they just travel around the you know rural areas and do their stunt shows and they dress up as knights and do jousting and things on their bikes wow and um but they they start to break up and it kind of parallels the fall of you know camelot yeah neat so uh, yeah it's a really good movie that's got to be worth a look ed harris is so good and that's my favorite one he's, of his he's really the best thing in whatever he's in mm-hmm. typically wow so, uh, on that note, what did, what did you watch since we did this last? Me? Yeah. I've got a load. Do you, do you want me to go first? Or? Go for it. <laughs> but, and you might want to make a note of what you saw because this might take a while. Go right ahead. Okay. All right. Um, I checked out a movie called Under the Shadow. Not heard of it. That sounds familiar. It's a collaboration between the UK, Jordan, and Qatar. Um and the director and the star are from Iran and it's the director's first movie and he wrote it as well uh, Babak Anvari um, it's, it's, uh, it's good stuff um, it's kind of like the Babadook but I liked it um, <laughs> that was the main difference yeah it's got I mean because you've got uh, this, there's this woman and, and her daughter are in Tehran during the Iran-Iraq war when like missiles are just raining down yeah and um and people are just leaving her building so by the end of mm-hmm. the movie it's just her and the girl and uh, and at one point in, you know in the first third of the movie this like huge missile comes through the roof mm-hmm. but it doesn't explode so <laughs> they have to get in these cranes and things to you know someone has to come in and defuse it and then get cranes come along and they pull out the things so there's this like hole in the roof that they have to patch over but um uh what happens is because they're in this they're very vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, physically and spiritually something comes to haunt the building and uh, uh the older people in the area say it's a gene yeah and uh so you know things get weirder and weirder and and eventually you actually see manifestations like there's this um uh, Chador that, that has a life of its own that she sees floating around and it it kind of visits her daughter when when it thinks she's out mm-hmm. and 
yeah, there's weird things happening. And, and uh, so she, she, you know, she knows she has to rescue her herself and her daughter. And Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's well done. There's this great bit where she, um, uh, it, it fools her into thinking her daughter's in one place, but she's in another. So she goes to the wrong place to try and save her kid. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, uh, I won't give it away, but there's this like excellent scare in it. But uh, yeah, it, it's good stuff. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, Absentia. I, I was seeing more Mike Flanagan movies after we watched um, Ouija. Mm-hmm. So Absentia is one of his early ones from 2011. He's the uh, director and screenwriter. Uh, this one's about... Um, uh, there's a woman who's uh, pregnant and she her husband's been missing for, I think it's seven months. Mm-hmm. And after seven months, you can declare them legally dead. So, which and she's just going through this traumatic process of declaring him dead and the final forms are just coming in. And of course, that's when he reappears. And uh, But he's been traumatized by something and there's something in the nearby underpass and there's references to the Three Billy Goats graph story. Mm-hmm. So you get the idea is this kind of, it's a, it's not a troll, but it's <laughs> something that inspired that story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of lurking there and it's, and it's targeting, you know, people connected to the husband or people in the area. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Doug Jones plays a, one of the victims, um, but uh, yeah, I find I find it that one a bit too slow moving for me. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Uh, I hadn't seen it because it's got one of those really generic covers of a woman being dragged. She's like reaching out into towards mm-hmm. the camera, and she's being dragged away by something. It's just like <laughs> it's super generic. Yeah, and it's like oh, another one of those. It's like, it, pick from one of these five stock yeah. photos. It's not a generic movie. You know, he's, he's, he's a guy who, like, directs, he, he, like, sets up these dramas which work without the supernatural and then brings the supernatural into it. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah, um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, so the the Final Girls, have you seen that one? No. Uh, which one is Is that the fun one with the summer camp? It is fun, yes. Yes, I saw that one. Yeah, so this is from 2015. Yep. Um, yeah, this is directed by Todd Strauss Schulson, who did Harun Kumar Christmas. Uh, yep. <laughs> and screenplays by Joshua John Miller and M.A. Furston, who did Queen of the South, the series. Um, but it is, it's, it's good. Um, uh, so there's, there's a group of millennials, and uh, one of them is a girl whose mother was in this movie called Cunt Bloodbath. And uh, when the movie starts, she's with a mother who's struggling to find another job, and um, but and all people know her for is being in Camp Bloodbath, and she's kind of tired of it. And uh, but anyway, they're they're driving. And there's an accident. The mother's killed. One year later, there's like a revival showing of Camp Bloodbath, mm-hmm. which the daughter's invited to. And then there's something happens at the theater, and she. Uh, I, it's pretty early in the movie, so there's a fire, mm-hmm. and the daughter picks up one of the uh, picks up a knife that somebody's brought. It's a prop for their costume, and slices in the screen and gets her friends into the 
to escape into the back exit. But what happens is when they pass through the screen, they they turn up in the movie. Oh, okay. So then it switches to this kind of. Uh, so you've got these like millennial kids, and then these like mid eighties kids. Nice. Uh, so uh, you, you've seen it, right? Yes. So yes. it's pretty funny where they're bouncing off each other, and like there's jokes about you know one of them's got a, a smartphone, and there's like these eighties kids are like, what's that, you know? Um, and then they're kind of laughing at their, you know, they're, they're dressed like uh, kind of like the shabby, mm-hmm. you know, expensive, um, shabby clothing, and uh, so the eighties kids are in their little shorts and preppy sort of stuff (laughs) are you poor um but uh yeah and it's quite moving as well because you've got this daughter and she finds a mother and she doesn't tell her at first that she's the mother and she doesn't you know she obviously doesn't tell her that she dies in her Mm -hmm. own life and um but they they pretty soon they figure out that anything that happens to them they're, they're first they're quite relaxed and they're just watching things happen then they figure out that uh, if some if one of them gets killed in the movie, they die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they have to figure out how to either get out of the movie or end the movie. Oh, okay. Um, and some things run in a cycle. Yes. Uh, sort of like Groundhog Day, but like in a much shorter loop of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everything runs in ninety two minute cycle. Yeah. So at first, they, when they're in, like when when they find out they're in a movie, they're in the, this country road, and the, the van comes along, and it's exactly like the scene that you saw in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they let it; they just let it go by, and then they start talking to the people in the van next time they come by, and then and then one of the kids starts timing it, and he says, uh, "So he's he's figured it out," and he says, "Like and then they should arrive now," and then the van comes around the corner. Yeah. Um, and the slasher, and it has this, uh, t- like this totem pole yeah, kind of mask. Yeah, it's kind of a tiki sort of. Yeah. Mask he's carved himself. <laughs> Um, so one of the writers, uh, Joshua John Miller, is the son of uh, Jason Miller. Okay. Who was the father Karras in The Exorcist. Yeah. And so it is, it is kind of, there is personal feeling in it, you know, because he grew up as the offspring of someone who's been in a very famous horror movie. Yeah, Oz Perkins and, is the same way. And who died, you know, tragically. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's got it's quite touching sometimes. It's and it's very nice looking as well. Yeah. So I, I did enjoy that one. And uh, yeah, I'll get back to Jason Miller in a bit. Uh, the Funhouse Massacre, uh, 2015. Uh, this has no pretensions to be anything other than dumb fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you got this like, so it's like one of these big haunt complexes, mm-hmm. and it's themed around these maniacs that used to be in the area mm-hmm. and of course the maniacs are in the local asylum and this woman who turns into this kind of um um harley quinn character busts them out mm-hmm. and the, the asylum keep is played by robert england nice um so she busts them all out and uh they and they invade the fun house kill off the people who are playing them and take over the exhibits and then they just slaughter and everyone who comes along Oh, okay. And so it's ages before people realise that, that people are actually getting killed. Um, Clint Howard's one of them. But, uh, yeah, it's just... There's gore. Yeah. Um, breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole know, checklist is... Uh, decapitations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, good. Joe Brooks, Marks of a Good Movie are all in there. 
we okay? We're getting alien transmissions here. Well, I think it's okay now. We're good. Joe Bob Briggs has that checklist. Yeah. <laughs> um, Beyond the Gates, 2016. Ah. Jackson Stewart, Barbara Crampton. She plays the host of a VHS board game. Yeah. Mm, no, Don't know if you remember, remember those. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's this uh, particular board game where the uh, dad of one of the characters uh, is trapped. And uh, so the, the uh, his sons have to come together and play the game. And it dares you to do various things, uh, which get increasingly gory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's all done with practical effects. And it's really, you know, it's one of, one of the many movies I watched, which uh, harken back to the 80s if they weren't actually made in the 80s. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of got the spirit of, you know, not very good 80s movies <laughs> very successfully um you know i thought the storytelling was a bit poor i didn't understand the game how it worked mm. um they, ha- they actually have instructions which they don't pull out for ages right yeah they just pop the tape in and sit yeah, there like just, a bunch of toads yeah they just start figuring out they go, oh yeah let's read the instructions about halfway through um well i'm kind of the same way all right uh, Antichrist, 2009, last one, Trier. Uh-huh. Have you heard of this one? I've heard of I've it. Heard I've heard of it. This caused a bit of a controversy. Probably still does. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. People fainting, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Willem Dafoe, Charlotte Gainsbourg, um, uh, this couple who've lost a baby, and uh, he's a th- some kind of therapist, so he kind of pulls her out of... Mm-hmm regular treatment and she's afraid of the outdoors and the forest and she was in she was in this like forest cabin the year before with the kid and uh so he takes her out there to confront her demons yeah but you get the idea that he's kind of punishing her for her what he's for her she's feeling guilt Mm -hmm. and he's he's being a therapist and everything but you get the idea that he's actually punishing her. He's angry with her mm. under it all. But anyway, this 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 movie's you know notorious for its when a it's explicit sex, but b it's it gets extremely gruesome. Mm. And there's like genital mutilation and stuff. Mm. He gets wood in a big way, in a <laughs> in quite a painful way. Um. Yeah, so 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 he's he's like pushing her with his his control and isolation and and the forest and and she's also been researching the history of women being persecuted like in witch trials and things like that, and uh, she kind of becomes the evil woman that you know women have been cast as by men you know who want to keep control i.e. people like her husband. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, it gets very gruesome. There's, there's some, like, gruesome stuff done with animals. Not, I mean, it's, it's very well done, but it's not real. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's, it's uh, yeah, that's, that's a pretty harsh one. Do you have any idea if that's the same writer from um, the Nymphomaniac? Yeah, it's the same guy. Okay, yes, so Lars, did, did he write them and direct them? Um, I think so. I think so, yeah, because they're very personal he he's like a he's a depressed 
guy is. <laughs> you could tell he's not a happy guy. Um, did you watch the uh, uh, um, Nymphomaniac no, movies? No, I did. <laughs> I, I just don't. <laughs> pretty heavy. Yeah, I just wasn't interested. Uh, it's got Sheila Booth in it. Well, briefly, thankfully, he's trying. I guess. I mean, I don't know if he's gonna. <laughs> Redeem himself for all his Leboufian things he's done. Yeah. Um, okay. I watched The Other Boy. I yeah. I, I saw One Boy last week and then The Boy 2016. The porcelain one. Yeah. With, so, with Maggie from The Walking Dead in it. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I've not seen any of that, but yeah, no. she was in Batman versus Superman as well. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Cohen? Or yes. Something. Um, I... From the second shot onwards, I was wondering why they didn't just set this in British Columbia. Because it's set in England. Mm-hmm. But why? There's no reason. <laughs> and from the second shot, you can tell it's not. Do they have biscuits? <laughs> that, have you seen this one? Not. Right, so shot one, you know, after the credits, this black cab is driving through the country. Yeah. And it's driving, you know, it's driving down the middle of a country road, but everyone does that. Uh and then, and then, the, and then, it, second shot is driving on the left, which is correct. But yeah. The road sign is it's on, on the, the wrong side. side. Yeah. It's, <laughs> why? Do, and there's way too many firs in this landscape. And they get to the house, and oh, that stone might be right, but I don't see many houses built with that stone. Uh, and it just goes on and on. It's like the number plates are wrong. Not enough pea gravel. Yeah. Uh, the phone. Uh, like uh, at one point, the she gets like a. A message like you know the phone's not working, mm-hmm. which in America is is like a series of beeps, mm-hmm. right? But in the UK, it's just a flat tone. Mm. Um, so that's wrong. So I was just like, why didn't you just set this where you filmed it and save all that nonsense? Just took I me out of the movie. I always wonder about things like that. Yeah, and it's great looking, and it's a, it's a lovely house. It's this castle in on the west coast, but. Um, yeah, uh, it's got Jim Norton in it, who was in, um, I thought, he looks like Stan Laurel. <laughs> oh, he played Stan Laurel, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and he was in Straw Dogs as well, which is another American versus... That's a Peck and Pop movie. Looney Brits movie. Yeah. Um, I still haven't seen that. You've never seen Straw Dogs? Oh, I need to. I'll lend that one to you. That's a lovely one. I would one. love to see yeah, that. Don't, yeah, don't watch that with Kaylin. No, I won't. <laughs> I probably won't even have an argument. I was argument. offended by it. But, um, <laughs> uh, okay, and then we watched the uh, the new Michael Wood documentary, The Story of China. He did the In Search of Troy and things like that. Hmm. But it's like um, six part, I think, was it forest? But anyway, it's very good. Story of China from ancient times to, to now. Um I watched an Alfred Hitchcock movie I'd never seen before. Which one? Uh, Downhill. Never heard of it. I've never heard of it. <laughs> it's 1927, like the same year as The Lodger. Okay. So was it a silent? Or yeah. Was... yeah. yeah. Uh, it's got Ivan Novello. I think he also wrote it. Ivan Novello is also in The Lodger. Okay. Um, minimal intertitles. He really tried to get away with as few captions as possible. Uh, and it's got some... Uh, you know, it starts off kind of slow. Whereas, uh, Ivan Novello is one of these students in uh, in some posh school, mm-hmm. and um, his friend gets into trouble with a local girl, 
and uh, but he takes the fall for him mm-hmm. to preserve his you know career and everything. So he gets kicked out by the school by his family, and he just takes his dive. So the downhill of the title is him just going down down in society, and uh, he ends up like uh, so out of it that he he starts becoming delirious. So you get all these weird shots and neat. Yeah, it's cam- and there's some really interesting camera work in it, like the POV stuff and lighting effects and, and stuff that reflects his delirious state towards the end. Yeah, that was really interesting. All right. Um, I watched Teen Wolf 1985, which I've never seen before. Did you? Oh, man. And what did you think? <laughs> Lame. <laughs> Have you seen that one? Oh, God, a long time ago. I've seen Teen Wolf 2 as well. So this one, um, written by Jeff Loeb, who did uh, Batman The Long Halloween. So he oh. can write a good story. Okay. But this is just so lame. I mean, Michael J. Fox saves it. He's he, he's so so engaging, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, he did. There's this like funny bit where he's like skidding down a corridor on water, and it is like the, the physical comedy. He's, he's good at that. Yeah, he was he was always really good at that kind of stuff in yeah. those movies. But it's so lame. So like, yeah, finished watching that. I thought only an idiot would watch Team Wolf Two. <laughs> so uh, so watch that one. Uh, and that one is with Jason Bateman. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's got John Aston and Kim Darby in it as well. Right. And uh, yeah, that was not as good. Even worse. <laughs> and somehow Jason Bateman went on to make some yeah. better movies. I don't know what, like how he got a chance after that. <laughs> uh, Teen Wolf. All right. And then uh, I think the last one I watched was The Ninth Configuration which also has Jason Miller in it. And this one was written and directed by William Peter Blatty. Oh, okay. really? This is from 1980. <clears throat> but he'd been, he'd done the novel back in the 60s and he was going to do the movie of it with William Friedkin. But then they went and did The Exorcist. Yeah. Mm. Um, so he kind of rewrote his orig- original novel and, uh, and then directed it himself. And it's got an amazing cast, so Jason Miller, Stacey Keach, Neville Brand, Joe Spinell, Moses Gunn, Tom Atkins, Richard Lynch, a whole bunch of character actors. Wow. Um, and it he considers it his follow-up to The Exorcist. Hmm. Uh, it's got the, you know, in The Exorcist, there's a Captain Cutshaw, who's an astronaut. Oh, yeah, okay. at the party. Yeah, and she says, you're going to die up there. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's the main guy in this oh okay and what it is there's this castle it's filmed in hungary i think it's set in canada (laughs) (laughs) weirdly um but anyway um something somewhere from the northwest um so stacy keach plays this guy who's apparently going to come into this asylum for military officers who have either gone crazy or they're pretending to be crazy, so he's sent in there to try and sort them out. Mm. He's he, this. He's got a secret as well, so you you can't tell what's real, what's not, who's mad, who's not, and uh, uh, yeah. So it's, it's it's an interesting movie. I can't say I, I enjoyed it completely. I got kind of tired of everyone doing their bits, you know. Yeah. Right. You know, various crazy characters they're playing, but 
yeah, definitely um, if, if you're interested in the Exorcist series, um, yeah, give it a watch. Always. <laughs> it's always worth a shot, right? Was that it for your list? That's it. How about you, Will? Um, what did we watch this week? Another episode of Loch Ness, but I think that was it. Oh, man, you, you had a busy week then. Yeah, no TV. Did you get to read anything? Not really. You ever get to read on the job? Oh, I read on the job constantly. It's part of the, part of the job. It's, you know, the perk of working at a bookshop. <laughs> of course. I couldn't so. finish reading Alex in a book. Mm. It's like the first of two volumes. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I, I, I prefer the, the, the first stories where he it's a detective series mm-hmm. like towards the end it becomes um like when he gets to the 80s it kind of forgets about the detective stuff it, yeah uh, it doesn't forget it but it's just not interested in it so much in his his existential problems and ah. relationships and yeah, I'll have to read it gets that much one. weirder but uh yeah it's a very good hard-boiled comic looks fantastic yeah all right, um, my turn. Yep. I just sort of passively scrolled through um, the Netflix app to try and find the actual title of this thing. Uh, but I watched a documentary about the guy who wrote the Anarchist Cookbook. Oh, yeah. And you have you ever run across an old copy of that at the yeah. store? No, not at the store. Yeah, they used to st- stock that at the uh, tattered cover. Yeah, and someone told me that they changed all the bomb recipes so they wouldn't actually work. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, and I knew people back in the day who owned a copy of it, and I don't know if they ever made anything from it. But it basically was this guy saying, here you go, here's a bunch of knowledge, and if you ever need to use it, there it is. And he didn't really advocate you know, overthrowing government or doing violent things to other people, but he did tell you how to. <laughs> And really different kind of a dude. And I can't... And then he washes his hands of it. <laughs> he kind of does, in a way. He sort of just says, you know, that was a long time ago, and I can't keep, you know... Uh, I think he understood the gravity of it, and, and I think he really well understood uh, that he had a responsibility to it. But uh, he's pretty clear on he hasn't... He hasn't meant for this thing to hang around and influence anybody or provide idiots because the book basically said this is not for children or morons. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of morons have gotten a hold of it and done things from the book because there's a lot of YouTube videos that prove it. <laughs> People filling super soakers with napalm. Oh, you know what could go wrong well darwin could tell you what <laughs> what would go wrong um anyway if you get a chance to see it i tried to find it just like i said scrolling through netflix app on my phone to get the actual title but it's about the author so, so it's a documentary about him yeah it was um i also watched beyond the gates and mm. did really enjoy most of what there was to it um i think it, it kind of showed that um the two at least two of the three actors were not really experienced you know they they were all right but uh i wasn't 100 percent believing them mm. and um barbara crampton of course was the best thing yeah, in the movie. She, yeah she was awesome as always um went and saw wonder woman <laughs> at the alamo draft house what did you think the alamo draft house well first of all the alamo draft house 
Uh, I've been to one other location, the one that's way south of Denver. Uh, I guess it's Littleton. Um, and that was awesome, of course. Um, this brand new one that's in the Sloan's Lake area of uh, West Denver is incredibly cool. I thought it was great. Um, it's for any of our listeners who've never been to one of these Pacho Deluxe cinemas, it's a big comfortable seat and a, a little table that's kind of built in between two seats and a waiter comes and visits you and you order things and you can have actual good food brought to you. And that'd be so distracting. It's not bad. They, they're really mindful of like staying the hell out of your experience. They, they tell you up front, you know, about 55 minutes before it ends, I'm going to visit you with your check and that's it. And so they kind of do a little last call. They hold up a card that says, do you need anything else? (laughs) And you could either say yes or no. If you do want something, you write it on a piece of paper and stick it to where they can see it. And then they leave you alone the rest of the time. So you only see your waiter like three, four times. And it's usually like in a flash. And uh, that being said, um, it's a cool experience. It's a really comfy environment. No one under 18 if they're not accompanied by an adult. So pretty much it's, Mm. it's more expensive and you can't just drop off your shitty kids and drive away. So there's not a bunch of shitty kids running around. Um, it's a place for people who, who actually enjoy their movies. Um, Wonder Woman was a lot of fun. I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. Uh, that woman is otherworldly in her beauty and can actually act really Mm -hmm. well. And she's very athletic um, somebody told me she, uh, did a stint in the Israeli army. Yeah. Which explains a lot about her capabilities, uh, jumping and kicking and punching. She's probably very well trained to hand to hand combat stuff. Anyway, the movie itself, um, of course there's always a few things in, in a superhero movie where I look at it and go, this could be half hour shorter and I can see some of the stuff they could cut out. But that being said, <clears throat> I think about that in every movie. <laughs> yeah, if every it's, movie could be shorter. If it's over two hours, I'm looking at it going, "What would I lose if I were if I were editing it?" And I'm no editor, so don't listen to me. Just uh, enjoy it the way you. Jolene, what did you think? Was it too long, or was it about right for mm-hmm. you? No, no, it was fine. There was no waste of of. Uh, what, what do you think was time wasting? Um, the main thing for me, and I and I promised the listeners at the beginning of this thing we wouldn't spoil anything that's not the feature that we that we're talking about but spoil uh, it um, she's a woman (laughs) she's a wonderful woman uh i think some of the beginning of the movie i think they maybe spent a little more time on the island than they needed to i just love looking at it so much well yeah it's and that's the thing is if you're gonna hang out hang out there uh and i felt like they spent a little too much time with when they reveal who the God of war is or who she thinks it is, mm. I think they spend a little more time with the wrong dude. And then the right dude, that's the biggest spoiler I'm going to drop on you. Is egg foo in it? <laughs> no, not yet. That'd probably be Damn a sequel. It. <laughs> well, I'm not going to watch it unless there's a, it's a candies in it, but she doesn't, does she show her eating candy? at all? Does it? Is she fat? Yes. That's the okay. secretary from the mm-hmm. office. Yeah. Yeah. She's one of the old characters and her first, first um like costume supervillains in it but they've changed the ethnicity oh in the the original comics it's this japanese character yeah but since this was set in world war one times Mm -hmm. now do you think it's because they wanted to show trench warfare 
I don't know <laughs> why they put it in World War One. That's weird. And the really cool thing about seeing it at Alamo Draft House was the fact that they do all that kooky montage of stuff like that's either directly or vaguely related to the movie you're about to watch. So they were showing like all these clips of like like feeble attempts and okay attempts and better attempts at the Wonder Woman story. And so they were like, you know, they 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 ramp up the Wonder Woman theme that we all know mm. and uh, then they show Filipino Wonder Woman 1991. Mm. And it's like Oh, the Donna uh, film. Uh, I don't know what it was called. Okay. But, but it was it was definitely the Wonder Woman costume. But she was Filipino, and she does a lot of flying the, the, and hovering. There's a similar character called Dana. Hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Southeast Asia. This one was definitely Filipino, and okay. it was I'm, definitely like the Linda Carter costume. There was definitely, yeah, like Batman movies made in the Philippines and Indonesia. Yeah. <laughs> Batman versus Dracula and things like that. Like bootleg Batmans? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a whole like other a Turkish podcast. Turkish Superman one. <laughs> Turkish Superman, blow your mind. Super Turkey. Yeah. Oh, man. So they showed like a few attempts at uh, a pilot for the Wonder Woman TV series that the costumes were mm-hmm. all weird and yeah. the tone was all off. Awesome. like one. two or three, weren't there? It was like oh, yeah. late, late 60s, one that, that was they, like a they comedy. filmed an attempt at a pilot and they never showed it, I think. Mm-hmm. And, then and then there, then was, like, the, uh, there was the one where she's like dressed head to foot, like covered head to foot. Yeah. Yeah. And blonde. Yeah. And blonde. Weird. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that one. That was like 74, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So they finally got it right when they got Linda Carter. Yes, she's, she's great. But they did like the first um, season set in World War II times. Mm-hmm. And then the they're just one. like, ta-da, it's the present day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all that being said, um, it's worth your money. Go see Wonder Woman. Um and don't listen to me. I mean, the stuff that I thought went on a little long, who cares? You know, so I don't mind long movies if they deserve it. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like they were just, you know, messing around, wasting time. It just took a little longer. I'm like, I want to get to what's <laughs> happening next. And you're hanging out here too long. But, hey, maybe I'm just a big child that way. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not saying if you, if you think something dragged in. Yeah. I, I just cut it down. I lost, a, yeah, I lost a little, a little bit of patience with it, but... Um, I didn't feel bored mm-hmm. anyway, again, not a film critic. And then, uh, did I mention last time that I'd been watching that series, the, about, uh, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling glow? Mm-hmm. Isn't any good? It's, it's all right. It's fun. I mean, it's, it's stupid fun. So, and if you like Mark Maron, he's a major part of it. And, uh, I'm all right with Mark Maron. I don't, I don't oh, dislike him. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a bit of a sad sack. Yeah, but I think that's what he does. I think that's kind of his brand. So it was cool. Um, that's it for me. And then, uh, of course, two back-to-back fly movies. Two back-to-back fly movies. <laughs> One of them was on Netflix last time. Yeah, I was stunned. Mm-hmm. So. And it looked good. The Vincent Price one, yeah, it was a good transfer. It looked it looked brilliant. The Technicolor. Yeah, that's on uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. yeah, it looked like blue. Vincent Price Collection Two. Yeah, Return of the Fly. The Return of the Fly. I was telling Jolie on the ride over here that uh, I don't know if it was just like those fuzzy vignettes when you don't remember something. I was like, I thought Vincent Price was the one that ended up with the fly head. Mm. 
Yeah, it must have been I one of the sequels too. <laughs> but no, he's just like a. Even though I know I've seen this movie. Oh yeah, probably saw it three times when I was a kid. Yeah, and then not since. Yeah, exactly. So I can tell you where my first experience with the Vincent Price of the Fly was uh, probably Creature Features when I was a kid. It was probably on a Saturday night. Uh, if not, it was on a Sunday afternoon on some other afternoon Creature Feature type show. And uh, I always was just saddened and creeped out by that ending. Mm-hmm. And again, we're going to spoil this, but uh, Jolien, do you remember when you first saw the Vincent Price of the Fly? This was a hard one to see. I didn't see that until I was an adult, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I saw Cronenberg's The Fly Mm -hmm. first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did you? I remember there was an ad for it, and I told my dad, there's a movie called The Fly. (laughs) He's like, that movie came out a zillion years ago. He wasn't terribly impressed with it. Oh, he did like the remake? No, the original. Oh, he didn't oh, care for the oh. original. So it was a hard then, sell getting him to go. Yeah, and then when it came out on video, we watched it. You know, it was great. Yeah, and and you've been on such a Cronenberg kick lately. It wasn't. I have been. It wasn't hard to get you to watch another one. No. So. Uh, so your first experience with Vincent Price was later. I mean, I was a kid still, but. Um, Ten, twelve years old. Yeah, probably around the time you did your first murder. About the time I did my first murder. Just fill the swimming pool with sand. Yeah. If you haven't listened to any past episodes, (laughs) (laughs) go to a shitty motel. Mm. Chuck them in the pool, fill it with sand. Just hit the road. I think Uh, they were just making a giant cat box. (laughs) Basically, whether they knew it or not. (laughs) How about the Cronenberg one, Jillian? Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's classic. Yeah. When did you first see that one? I think I saw it on the big screen. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. I'm pretty sure I did, too. I must have been a kid, but I saw it on the big screen, yeah. Yeah. I was uh, I was about the right age to go on my own and not mm-hmm. get questioned by the man. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, it was something else, man. If you, I mean, if you grew up with like, oh, yeah, it's some old movie with Vincent Price in it. And yeah. This is a remake. And yeah, like, all I'd seen were like uh, stills yeah. of the first you know, the American movies. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I had ever seen. Mm-hmm. Here's, stills. Here's a question. I, if you know anything about the production, why was it set in Canada? It's in France in the book. Yeah. Oh, they just wanted to get it Frenchy, but not yeah. in France. Yes, they preserved the names. They preserved uh, all the names of the story. It's pretty close. Mm-hmm. To yeah. The movie. Um, I think the, her fate is different, isn't it? I can't remember. Can we spoil? How much can we spoil? Can Let's spoil, spoil it all. Yeah. So in the, in the ending of the story, she mm-hmm. commits suicide. Oh, oh okay. wow. And in the the movie, she's getting hauled off to an asylum. Yeah. Which is pretty. It's pretty bleak times for that poor kid. Yeah. Does Francois put an end? Does he does he put a halt to that by by telling the um, inspector, uh, "You just committed murder too." Yeah. So. Basically, just let her go. Say it was a suicide. Yeah, they, they, they realize that she's been telling the truth. Yeah. Like, a truth about something really creepy. Yeah, very bizarre. Yeah. So, um, after seeing both of them, uh, which one stands out as, as a more favorite for you? Oh, I definitely like the Cronenberg better, do, do you? Yeah. Know? Yeah. Cronenberg. The first one has great bits. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's some generally yeah. cr- creepy bits in it. Yeah. I like the build-up, but mm-hmm. then when she finally tells the story, it kind of, I don't know, it loses my interest a little bit. Did you like the effects? Yeah, I thought the effects were great. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. It was like, uh, all right, they kinda, it kind of goes through all these cycles of blinking and booping and dinging and yeah, <laughs> the neon goes that, off. That computer. Yeah. That, that computer was built for this, this like, advertising satire. Oh, Old desk set. Huh. Really? 957. No kidding. So then they used it in the fly, then Return of the Fly, and then The Invisible... Oh, no, The Invisible Boy, that was 57, wasn't it? So around the same time. When they reused Robbie the Robot. Yeah, and and then he was also used in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which also starred uh, Al Edison. Uh, um... Who am I talking about here? Yeah, he, he, he was he was called Al Hedison in The Fly, but he changed his name to David Hedison. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was, it, this computer facade was used in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And in the late 70s, there was this TV movie called The Amazing Captain Nemo. Okay. And it turns up in there as well. Wow. wow. And so now, now it's owned by William Malone. Yeah, he owns Robbie, too. Hmm. I've actually heard him interviewed. He owns a lot of old props. Is he? Yeah. In fact, I think you see his name in the corner of that Robbie poster, that the blueprint poster that I have. Uh. Yeah, because he, I don't know if he owns the rights to Robbie now or not, but William Malone is a big collector of the original um, props and ephemera of the movies. How do, I, how do I get to hang out with him? He seems pretty approachable. Um, okay. I've heard him on a couple of podcasts, and uh, he's a great interview. Maybe we should see if we can get a hold of him. Can we go over his house? That's, well, that's I think what I want to do. He lives in California. It would be a road uh-huh. trip, but we could It'd go. It would be a road trip. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, he's probably rich. He can invite us over. For any new listeners, uh, context clues, yes, we're in Denver. So uh, <laughs> it would be probably a two-day road trip. I don't know. It depends on how fast you it's drive. It's cheap to fly there. Yeah, it's better to fly. Southwest. Your bags Although fly for free. You have to fly to San Francisco <laughs> and then L.A. Yeah. There's no straight shot from Denver to L.A. On Southwest? On Southwest. That is really weird. Yeah. Because they advertise like $69 tickets. And I looked it up because I was going to fly to L.A. for the weekend. Oh, and go. Yeah, you were going to go check out some of the Black Dahlia yeah, actual. Yeah, go on. But I'd have to fly to San Francisco, and then that bumps the price. Yeah. Did you check any other airlines? Nah. Just don't take the bus. Oh, my God. You know better. I know better now. (laughs) All right, so uh, did you do a rewatch on the um, Cronenberg one as well? No, because I had watched it a couple weeks ago. Oh, during your Cronenberg kick? Yeah. Um, When we watched something from 86, I don't remember beyond yeah from beyond from beyond yeah how about that um jeff goldblum he's good <laughs> he kind of tears it up doesn't he yeah he's like I'm not a, I'm, I'm not i'm not afraid to get naked he's the american version of hugh grant really he's with, 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 with the stammering he's, he's got a bit more range yeah he does yeah he does. yeah naked uh crawling up a wall no problem jeff goldblum 
Yeah, so he's uh, not afraid to get naked, do some gymnastics. Have you, have you seen any of the uh, like extras on the flight? Uh-uh. No. Uh, there's this bit where they're like doing test footage, and there's like uh, they have, there's like this uh, video where they have like the gimbal room. Mm-hmm. You know, where they can turn it around. Yeah, yeah. The walls. <laughs> it's one of them. It's like David Cronenberg, and he's got this like fly antenna hat on and these little plastic wings. <laughs> <laughs> and they do this test and he's crawling up the walls and wow it's hilarious well, I gotta say Goldblum really sold it man it looked real yeah so whoever was operating the gimbal was doing a good job <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was weird like not having seen the Cronenberg one for so long it was weird to revisit it yeah I was really expecting it to feel more dated than it was but it holds up really well no it holds up yeah fantastically well all his movies seem to hold up pretty well mm-hmm. yeah there's a, f- a few shoulder paddy sort of uh wardrobe things that don't hold up but that's just from the times you know but uh yeah gina davis good casting for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. yeah she's always awesome and yeah goldblum is just such a likable dude as as just his way he is and uh to make him into this sort of egomaniacal, hapless doofus. It's like he kind of straddles the line between being really brilliant and... Well, apparently when they when they were cast, um, she she had... Because they'd been together for a while as a couple. Yeah. Um, she had some of his mannerisms. Oh, no. So they had to talk her back from that so that because they're supposed to be meeting in the movie yeah but. <laughs> and she's all stammering <laughs> oh god that's good i can't imagine that her acting like jeff goldblum <laughs> what if hugh grant's got a wife or a girlfriend and he's started stammering <laughs> she's got floppy haircuts and stammers <laughs> oh man so what did, what was your um favorite stuff as far as special effects well as far as the cronenberg one Oh, uh, the fly itself looks pretty good at the end. It really does. Yeah, like the one that bursts out. Mm-hmm, and all his skin falls off finally, and his legs turn backwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of the, the big payoff, isn't it? After my Cronenberg kick, I drew a cover of the X-Men, but I drew, like, the fly and... <laughs> Max Renner from Videodrome and the mom from uh, I can't think of the name of that movie. There was one of the, the Brood. The Brood, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, the guy from Scanners, Michael Ironsides, whatever. So they were a superhero team. Uh huh. Yeah, they're bursting through the wall. I just took a copy of the X Men. <laughs> That's there. good. There's like uh, mom's floating. It was Storm, but I changed it, and she has all these babies coming out <laughs> of her skin, and they're, like, forming behind them. And it's like, man, I want a Project Cronenberg comic where all those people are, quote, heroes. <laughs> Fighting crime. And fully mm. licensed. <laughs> Promoting the new flesh. Promoting the new flesh, indeed. Did either this one movie's of you... all about the new flesh, too. It really is. I mean, it, it fits right in. Did either one of you like the uh, corrosive vomit? Mm. It was hard to watch, wasn't it? Man, I must watch that scene about a zillion times as a kid. <laughs> and once is enough when you're a grown up. Yeah. <laughs> remember the um, the arm wrestling bit was cut in the UK. Ooh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, bit it was pretty gross. It looked real enough. I could see him cutting it. And that that was that was at the height of video nasties, wasn't it? 
or just after yeah was it just at yeah, the that end was really 84 yeah okay yeah because this was 86 yeah. yeah i believe on shutter there is a documentary on the video nasties mm-hmm. yeah there's a couple different documentaries i did watch one of them yeah okay I, I tried one of them and I didn't like it as much. And I tried the other one; it was a better one, so I went with it. Okay, I've not seen either. Yeah, I'm they're not, yeah, yeah, they're definitely worth it. You'll you'll recognize uh, some of the school kids as the, the little shits that you went to school with. <laughs> I saw or I it. Was. <laughs> yeah, I, wa- I watch anything. Yeah, you'll watch anything. Uh, it's like, I, what about your parents? Are oh, they not home? <laughs> yeah, I, I never knew those kids. Unfortunately, I had to find things myself. But um, but these yeah. kids were lying. Yeah, they they'd come. They they'd make up stuff and they'd tell you, yeah. and that the stuff they told you is uh, horrendous. And a lot of the stats that they had on like what are kids getting into, uh, they discovered that the stats were way off because the kids were lying. Oh yeah, I never believed any survey they give children because. Well, the worst thing was they they. Uh, the conclusions and reports were written before they actually did the studies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were trying to manage to the numbers of the bullshit that they were coming up with. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, the, the, how are we going to get our agenda pushed through? So, yeah, good effects. They were they were gory and goopy and yes. undulating, just like you'd expect. <laughs> From Cronenberg. Chris yeah. Wallace. Yeah. Yeah, vomiting Jeff Goldblum. Man, you you don't find that anywhere else. <laughs> or as naked. He doesn't get as naked as as he does in this movie and any other movies, I don't think. I don't know. He's shirtless in a lot of Jurassic Park, but I think that's about it. Yeah. So. Didn't he do a whole season of Law and Order nude? <laughs> I think he did. Pantsless, at least. <laughs> yeah. Just Donald ducking his way. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> through the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> all right i admit it i admit i killed those people just put some pants on man <laughs> stop pointing at me it's rude <laughs> uh so um no not the jumping jacks again <laughs> <laughs> or the helicopters don't do the helicopter <laughs> so i read the uh the uh the little brief history of this movie and how they did the production and there was a there was a guy who who based his writing of the fly remake on the original short story and then went back and watched the one starring Vincent Price from the fifties. Yeah. So that was, um, Pogue, I Charles. guess. Yeah. So it was, uh, they were working on this thing. And then, uh, the funny note that I found here was, um, uh, basically that, um, they wanted to rework the material to focus on the gradual metamorphosis instead of instantaneous changes. And, uh, of course, when the executives read the script, they were so unimpressed that they immediately withdrew from the project. And it was like, okay, well, the first the first pack of suits that looked at this, uh, who maybe don't know anything about making movies, were like, nope, that doesn't work for us. And then the, uh, the new producer that did get all this shit put together was Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. Oh. So when you see Brooks film, that's yeah, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is pretty good about that. Yeah, so he, he'd done Elephant Man. Yeah. 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 So he'd worked with David Lynch, so he wasn't afraid to work with a bizarre director with crazy ideas. And and he got this thing, essentially he got it made or got it, uh, got the ball rolling well enough to where that was happening. And um, 
one more thing. Everything that... one of these movies was just a scam he was doing. <laughs> and it just turned out. <laughs> and it just turned out great. <laughs> it sounds like that could be a possibility. He, he sat down to watch it and said, where's the jokes? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was um, that was the, another movie that could have easily not gotten made, but did. So I'm glad it did. Well, yeah. The, the first director, and they did want Cronenberg to start with, but he was doing... Uh, Total Recall. Oh. And um, so they hired this British director, Robert... Uh, Beerman. Beerman. Um, And he had a family tragedy, so he had to... Drop out. Drop out of it. And then Total Recall fell apart, so Cronenberg was free again. Ah. Man, I'm glad he didn't do Total Recall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let someone else take that one. So, um, yeah, it, it it got made, but uh, what I thought was interesting about the, the the character that Jeff Goldblum plays, Seth Brundle, was that uh, he's supposed to become arrogant and violent, you know, more and more as it goes along, and it's like, he was already pretty arrogant, wasn't he? <laughs> you know, it was kind of like Nicholson, the way he played... Uh, uh, Jack Torrance. Mm. It was like he was nuts when he showed up at the hotel. Yeah. His descent into madness wasn't much of a descent. It was an already in madness situation. But uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, because in, in, in the original, they he um, he's still able to like write kind of crudely, or use a typewriter. But you know, from the time he goes through the change, he becomes a secondary character. Yeah. And the the uh, uh, what's the name Helen becomes the main character. Yeah, because she's the only one able to articulate herself. Yeah, yeah. he's basically lapping up rum milk and uh, and and stabbing at a, a typewriter with mm-hmm. one hand while holding with the, the hood over his face. Yeah, you can still type better than I can. Yeah, and it kind of looked like. Uh, like when somebody does the claw, you know, when they're trying to stop their crazy hand with their other oh, hand. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's kind of doing that when he's trying to type. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Typewriters, kids. You should look <laughs> into them. That's the, and that would have been, would that have been the first movie to do that? I think so. Yeah, part of your own body is fighting you. Like the internal struggle thing? Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. No, what about the hands of Orlock? Yeah, that's what I was just thinking of, but. But I don't remember if that scene is... There's a scene like that in there. I don't think... Because, like... I remember from that movie, he just has mechanical... Yeah. ...hands. They're not... He's not fighting himself. No. He's his own body. Hmm. On the other thing about the original fly, on that was gory. Yeah. And, def- and that full colour. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that... The, the opening there's a scene. dicky mess. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually really surprised by that. Like the, the original opening to like, here's the night watchman walking through and here's a, just a bloody mess from the hydraulic press having smashed a dude's right. head. Yeah. Now we all worked at the art supply store and we all used oh, yeah. Bertha, the paper yeah. cutter. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine like that? Except for instead of cutting yeah. it smashes. And she has to stick him in twice. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> I remember it like because like long before I actually saw the movie, there was this uh, couple of records of BBC horror sound effects, mm-hmm. 
and uh, sometimes they put together the sound effects to make a scene. And one of them was the flyers so that had the sound of oh, shuffling man. feet and then this descending <laughs> pneumatic press comes down. Squish. <laughs> Screaming and squishing. Yeah, that that was they got the they got the red nice and vivid. Mm-hmm. It was it was gory looking. I, I could easily see that being a problem for uh, putting on television. In fact, I'm pretty sure there was there had to have been some edit for that, right? Probably, yeah. There there must have been. I never saw this on television. Yeah, I know I saw it as a kid, but I wonder if they at all showed that because that would have been a bit much for back then. You know, I'm I'm talking the 70s, maybe even the 80s. I don't know if they would have wanted to show that much blood on television. It was shocking um, to see... uh, Did you see Shogun when it was on television? Uh Mm Uh-huh. It's like, this dude doesn't bow low enough, and all of a sudden the the warlord lops his gourd off, just whips out his sword, and his head comes off. Right. That was shocking on television back then. Now... That was 75. It's yeah. so blossoming. Are you saying yeah. that because of the writer? Well, James Clavell. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That that is something that brings it to mind. Yes. Um, I had been thinking about Clavell because of that. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that's the kind of thing that, wow, we've come a long way. You know, now they're just curb stomping zombies <laughs> wholesale on The Walking Dead. So... Um, yeah, other than um, the compound fracture, the corrosive vomiting, um, yeah. The, Shotgun blast to the head. That. Um, uh, the nightmare sequence with the maggot. The, mm, the man. Birthing the maggot. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was... Uh, you know who the, the doctor is there. That's Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the dream sequence, the, the gynecologist is Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, with his face mostly covered up, but with a surgical mask. But there it is. I thought they were. I thought the surgical team was acting pretty weird. <laughs> then, oh yeah, it's a it's a nightmare. Uh, so, um, are you, you at all watch the sequel to this? You know, it's probably not a bad idea you, to do sometime. You mean the Fly Two? Or? The Fly Two? Have you seen the Fly yeah. Two? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even flyer. Yeah. Uh, fly harder. I think fly is harder. <laughs> is what it's called. Uh, it, you've seen it. Yeah. The fly gets his head squished in an elevator. Oh, what a surprise! Yeah. <laughs> uh, live... It's got a uh, Eric Stoltz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it's Eric. Not Michael J. Fox. Right. I was just gonna say they started filming with Michael J. Fox, but they fired yeah, him. He goes to college. Right. Yeah, and it's pukes over the canteen food. And... Yeah, <laughs> um, but he's great at boxing. Yeah. Yeah. Need six gloves, but six gloves. <laughs> um, this was critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, most of the praise goes to Goldblum and his performance, but uh, I think even Siskel and Ebert liked this, um, which is kind of a win for anything that could be categorized as horror. Uh, this one gets a ninety-one percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which. Um, is quite good, but check this out. The original Fly, the 1958 with Vincent Price, uh, gets a 95% approval rating. So, what are you going to do? That's not a bad film. No, it's 
I look, enjoyed it. It looks great. It's, oh, it yeah. looks fantastic. It's got all the charm of the Technicolor 50s. <laughs> so have you seen the sequel to that one? Um, not. Yes, but I, I was probably nine. <laughs> yeah, I, so again, I'd just seen photos of it. And uh, I like the fly from that one better. Because it has like the bigger head. And yes. Stuff. Yeah, I like. I just like the look of it better. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely inferior. And I'd never even heard of the Curse of the Fly. Curse of the Fly, I quite liked. Did oh you, yeah. Have you seen that one? No, I've not hmm. seen either of the sequels. Uh, so Curse of the Fly was nineteen sixty-five, and that was filmed in the UK. And the uh, director was Don Sharp, who did um, Witchcraft and Psychomania. Oh, the one wow. about the biker gang that comes back from the dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that one's got uh, Brian Don Levy uh, in it. He was in the Quatermass Experiment oh. and Quatermass 2. Um, and, uh, of course, Gamera. Gamera. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, it's got some really striking images in it. It's, it's another fly movie where the bits... You you remember bits from it, which are good. Yeah, like the opening is pretty freaky, weird. It's like this window explodes out towards you, and then this woman in skimpy underwear climbs out the window and runs through a forest, and the credits play over that. Hmm. Wow. And uh, so you, you got the like the, the another couple of relatives of the Delambras yeah. experimenting with matter transmission and uh, things going gruesomely wrong, and there's some pretty. Uh, you know, creepy looking victims of the experiments. Mm. Kind of messes. Yeah, sort of kind of um, distorted bodies that you wouldn't see again until 80s movies like Society and things like that. You know? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it, you know, people tend to look down on this one, but yeah. it's got some good bits in it. And then there was a there was a movie called The Projected Man from '66, which That's... is another matter transmission one where he uh, he just gets he, his like part of his face is turned inside out and he mm-hmm. and he gets his death touch. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, it's kind of throwback to like Boris Karloff sort of movies. Um, yeah, that was quite. Yeah, you know, it's not good, but it's fun. Yeah. How did you uh, both feel about Inside Out Baboon? Mm. <laughs> I oh man, I had a hard time with that. I, I don't like mm. fake animal cruelty yeah. any better than real animal cruelty. I, I think they're um, both hard to watch, yeah. and they should be. But uh, apparently the original story had a monkey cat. Oh, yeah. You can see uh, they, they've reconstructed that. The, the, there's bits of it. You know, the, They filmed enough of it that they could reconstruct the oh. scene. You can see it as an extra. Oh, so really? It crosses the, a cat and the monkey, and so the cat what strolls into the teleporter. No, he he's got an alley cat or something, and and is stuck it in. So he he's he has like three pods, and uh, he he com- he deliberately combines the animals and sends them to the third one. Oh, okay. So like he planned to do at the end. Yeah. So of putting the baby and what's her name and one and <clears throat> yeah. Combine all of it into one big goopy mess. Yeah. I'm surprised Cronenberg didn't take it there. <laughs> He's like, yeah, there should be heads and arms sticking out everywhere. And, but um, in the original uh, The Fly movie, we hear Ghost Cat overhead. Yes. yes. Where, where do you think that was? A stream of atoms flying through space. I guess. 
It was sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is sad. I mean, it's sad when you're a kid, and then you, or later you kind of figure out, uh, how could that happen? Yeah, it couldn't it happen. It makes a kind of dream logic. It does. Spookiness to it. Yeah, I, I don't feel as bad about the stuff like that as an adult as maybe I would have when I was nine or ten watching this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, disappearing animals and turning them inside out and combining them together is just hard to watch. But uh, go ahead and break some redneck's arm when you're arm wrestling him. That's cool. <laughs> Compound fractures, that's that's fine. Yeah. You get a pass. Not going to show that on television, apparently, or in the British cut of the of the uh, video. So, yeah, the original um, 1958 screenplay by author James Clavell, based on the 1957 short story by George Langlin. Is that how we would say that? Lang- um, Langolin? I'm not sure. I, I've never heard it said aloud. Yes, that was from Playboy. Yeah. He, he'd been, um, he's an interesting character. Uh, he was like a spy in the SOE in World War Two. No really? Kidding. Went to France, got captured, escaped. Wow. Um, he was a friend of Alastair Crowley. Wow. Holy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know much about um, Patricia Owens? Is she? No. No, me neither. <laughs> um, of course, Vincent Price. Th- this is no, except she was the only Canadian in the cast. Oh, so she was probably also <laughs> an unofficial consultant to all things Canadian. I, I I don't know what the rules were back then, but like uh, when Cronenberg was making films, if you had even if it was an American production, you had to have a percentage of oh Canadian cast and crew. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, there you have it. Um, all right, so... Uh, well, the remake's also set in Canada. Well, yeah, just because it's Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was going to be set there anyway, but... Uh, yeah, the, um, the original was a major commercial success. Um, it cost less than half a million to make, and they uh, got three million at the box office, which in 1958 dollars was, mm, you know... Huge. It was massive. So, um, and then I don't know what theatrical rentals means, but it, it earned $1.7 million in theatrical rentals, which I don't know if that means uh, subsequent runs after the uh, initial release or what that means. But, um, yeah, it, it made its money. Both of these were big successes, so it wasn't like, oh, these idiots remade this thing and it failed. It's like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot, but not this time. Um, yeah, uh, the Made in Japan um, ashtray part. That was interesting. <laughs> Do you think they were trying to Just say something? Flips. Well, ironically, before the fly, in 50, uh, August of 57, mm-hmm. there was a Japanese movie um, called Invisible Man and Fly Man. Really? Yes. Tomei Ningen to Hayaotoko. Uh, from Dae. And director was Mitsuo Murayama. And there's a team of scientists who are experimenting with cosmic rays. And they come up with different things they can do with cosmic rays. Huh. Uh, one of them, uh, he he can shrink himself and fly around. Uh-huh. He doesn't become a fly. He's just fly-sized. And So he's Ant-Man. Some, yes. For some reason, he can fly around. And he uses this for uh, murdering people. And then there's a detective who gets one of the other discoveries, 
which makes him invisible and so he goes chasing the uh, fly man wow yeah so I, I brought along this Japanese movie book I'm going to show pictures which are not interesting they to work anyone on the listening fact, to this yes. but um, some of the publicity stills for it oh okay which don't appear in the movie get got very racy it's like some yeah, it's a, a burlesque-looking woman with fishnet stockings. Yes, and, and which has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like a. Well, keep that bookmarked. Publicity we'll, thing. We'll pop that up on our Instagram for anyone who's curious. Um, but yeah, uh, and and this one you can you can find it's not, you know, really obscure. Well, that's but, interesting. Because they they made several Invisible Man movies, from the forties onwards. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and that was considered just one of them. And but. Vincent Price did the voice <laughs> on at least a couple of them. <laughs> He's got a great voice for stuff like that. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. He just has a such a presence on the screen, even if he's disembodied. Not to be decapitated, but disembodied. Um, so, yeah, this is... Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, they're going to... In, in, in the original, they're going to try and capture the fly and send everything back through and maybe put the dude back together. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like in the remake, Seth Brundle is really trying to do that. Mm. Not exactly. Well, it's because he's already... Integrated. Brundle fly. He's already Brundle fly. I mean, he went through twice. Yeah. So if he had just done it once, they might have been able to pull him back apart. Yeah. But I think once he jumped through again, he was doomed to be the fly. And he had a pretty smart computer for 1985. Yeah. 86, whatever it was. I mean, if you look at that, it's like um, he's just keying in questions. And it's like, nope, here's what happened. Genetic splicing. Yeah. You're boned. You're screwed. Thanks, computer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he. I guess he kind of realized that he, there's... There's only things he could do to make it weirder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nothing he can do to make it normal again. But there was hope in the original that maybe it could be yeah. reversed. And yeah. the fly stuff could go back to the fly and the human stuff. It just probably would have ended up a big mess anyway. Why didn't the cat and the plate get fused? <laughs> plate cat. Yeah. I was kind of expecting something bad like that to happen. It's like when he put the saucer in there with the cat. Yeah, I was it's like, like oh. the cat's going to have a plate for a hat or something. <laughs> yeah. It comes out. But, you know, maybe he could have it like sticking out of his head like a mohawk. That would look yeah. really cool. It would be all made in Japan, spelled backward. <clears throat> a cat you can stub your cigarette out on. Yeah. But I made a note here when I was watching the movie that, um, you know, Helena is trying to help capture this fly and reverse the process. And my note is that trick never works. <laughs> Nope. It just doesn't. You know, again, it's the rule of movies like this. There's only things you can do to make it worse, and there's nothing you can do to make it better. Those happy endings just don't turn out like that. It'll be a happy ending maybe for another character, but not the person who's been, <laughs> you know, fused with an animal or something. Yeah. Can you think of any other movies where they did this? Like, maybe copying this? Because this made me think of Mant. <laughs> Which isn't a real movie, but... Where they fuse, fuse people and animals? Yeah. Well, using um, a transporter? Something like that. You know, whether it's you know magic or science. The disintegrator, reintegrator? 
Yeah. It just rolls off the tongue. It doesn't it? Well, apart from the ones we mentioned, I don't think so. On um in fifty nine there was the alligator people which went out on a double bill with Return of the Fly and uh had some of the same crew on it, I think. Um it had the same guys who'd done the mask for the fly. Oh wow. Uh Ben Nye and Dick Smith. Not oh. that Dick Smith. <clears throat> no, but Ben Nye was well known for his um <coughs> His movie makeup effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, there's a whole line of Ben Nye makeup that you can still buy. Really? Yeah. If you go to like um, any of the places that sell stage makeup, Ben Nye products all over the place. Yeah. If you want things to make fake scars or paint yourself blue or whatever it is you're into. Um, so the happy ending in, isn't for the, the mutated person mm. slash fly. The happy ending is really for the character who's not going to live her life in prison or the insane asylum. Yeah. And in the remake, also a happy ending for the woman who doesn't end up getting sent through and fused with a baby and a brundle fly monster. But she does have a fly baby in the sequel. Does she? Yeah, that's where oh, the second fly comes from. Man. And But it's not Gina Davis. No. So we can disregard it. Yeah, I mean... That's another bit of test footage you can see where they have the uh, the butterfly baby. Oh, really? It's a dream sequence she has. Yeah, yeah. I read I read that and I. How does it look? It's not good. It is it's like a test. Uh, it's kind of like stop motion and various other things. Doll heads and cardboard wings. <laughs> but yeah, it's like she's she is this image of this uh, pupating larva and. And then it splits open and this baby comes out and it unfurls its wings and then it flies off towards the light. Ooh. Hmm. Too bad. The big maggot was gross. That was, mm. it was pretty gross. Well, do you feel like we covered it pretty well? Anything we I left think so. Out? Yeah. So, um, as I always ask, uh, do you recommend these to our listeners? Yeah. Or to horror fans and non-horror fans? I think non-horror fans... Obviously went out for the remake, uh, well the original and the remake because look at the box office on it. It's they both made a ton of money. That means more than just horror fans went out. Oh yeah, it's a good love story as well. Yeah, so you get that. You get uh, all the goopy gore and the undulating things, and you know, yeah, all the crazy Cronenbergian I, stuff. I've not seen the opera. <laughs> Have you? No. No. So, um, Jolien, yeah. both of these recommends. Oh yeah. Okay. Same here. It's like, why not watch an old movie? It's in color, kids. It's in color. Looks great. Yep. Both in color. Beautiful color. All right. Anything else before we get out of here? I don't think so. All right. Thank you for listening. Stay off the moors.